There hasn't been an intellectual property based game that I have seen so well capture its intellectual property in the mechanics of the game. Interesting. Hi, friends. Craig here. Another roundtable. This time I sit down with Pete Kane and Chris Ewan from the Rage Quit Wire podcast, and we go through and talk about seven different popular mini games out there. We talk about what's good about them, what's bad about them, and we talk about some of the ugly things about them as well. Sit back and get ready to listen to some strong opinions about some of the biggest miniature games out there right now. Enjoy. Playing games tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a breakdown on several different tabletop miniature games that are currently on the market. We're going to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly for each one of them. And my guests are good friends that host the wonderful podcast, Rage Quit Wire. And if you have not already started listening to that, you need to fix that problem. Uh, just grab your local podcatcher. I'll also have a link in the notes for you. Um, these guys are definitely worth listening listening to. So if you're not listening, you're missing out. Um, they were even dumb enough to have me on the show as a guest. Uh, so that gives you an idea of the low quality that they're producing. <laughs> uh, now, the first guest is Peter Kane, and he's been playing miniature games for uh, well over 20 years now. He is known as the half of the Rage Quit Wire team. He's He's a strong and very fast painter who, uh, from what I hear, switches armies, crews, and factions more than he should. So, Pete, welcome to the third floor. Awesome to be here, man. We're uh, really excited to talk some uh, miniature gaming with you. (laughs) Well, it's the least I could do after you guys had me on your show. Um, So I've got a weird one for you. I want you to imagine you could go back in time to the day when you were first shown your first minis game. So the day where you went, huh, what's that? If you could give that little kid some advice right now, what would it be? (laughs) Uh, The advice I would give that kid is probably stop playing 40K as soon as you can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say don't play 40K because that that led me into wargaming and I met so many cool people through 40K. So I wouldn't change actually playing it, but... Once these cooler games came along, I would definitely hop into those as soon as possible. So so play, but not as long as you ended up yeah, playing it. <laughs> I, I spent way too much money on it in time. <laughs> um, so my second guest is uh, Chris Ewan. He is uh, Pete's louder and more vocal half on the podcast. Uh, now, what's interesting about Chris is he's... N- Right now, he's neck deep into miniature gaming, but relatively speaking, he's new to the hobby overall compared to old timers like Pete and myself. So uh, Chris is probably known as the master of the hot take. And uh, if a game has a butcher clan or faction in it, you're guaranteed Chris is going to play it. So, Chris, welcome to the third floor. What's up, man? I'm happy to cover all of (laughs) the ugly parts. 
<laughs> okay, good. So you guys have had several guests on the show. And one of the things that you do on the show is that uh, you have them uh, share their rage quit stories. And I shared mine when I was a guest. But what I want to know from you, Chris, is of all of the ones you've heard so far, what is the number one best rage quit story a guest has said? Hmm. I think, and, and Pete can remind me, there was a someone that shared a story about how they got basically tabled at the top of turn two in a game and the guy that they were playing just hand shoveled his miniatures right into his battle foam bag. <laughs> like didn't even put them away, just scoop them bitches off the table. <laughs> I don't remember who that was, but that was a really good story. <laughs> like they didn't even pick them up. They just had the bag and just scooped them all in there. I, I've been there, man. I've been there. So now, Pete, I need to know not what was your favorite, but I want to hear your your big rage quit story. So you guys always have your guests tell yours, but you're a guest on my show now. So I want to hear your best rage quit. So my best rage quit isn't because I'm a I'm a pretty even tempered guy most of the time. Uh, I'll get. I'll get frustrated, but generally I can internalize that a lot. So my rage quits are usually just me kind of packing up snarkily and just, you know, maybe, maybe bitching a little bit, but the best rage quit that happened with me interacting was during a Warhammer fantasy tournament. And I was playing Skaven. I loved rats, which I talked to you a little bit. I started playing Hamlin and that's kind of fun, but I was playing Skaven and he was playing tomb Kings when they weren't good. So, and if you don't know how that works, they had a mechanic where if you killed their priest that kept everything together, their army basically evaporates because right. they're, they're like pharaohs. So I end up, and this is when Skaven are pretty OP, I end up turning his Hierophant's unit into basically rats. There's the Dread 13 spell, the Curse of the Horned Rat, whatever the spell was called. And it was close. It was like right at 24. And we were kind of arguing about it a little bit and we were kind of like, well, I think you wield maybe too much or maybe you didn't do this. And I was like, well, okay, listen, we're going to go ahead and let's just roll a die for it. High end. It goes off low end. It doesn't go off. He's like, you agree to that? He's like, sure. So I roll off and it, it's a five. So I'm like, all right, good. All right. It goes off. I roll like 13. The unit turns into rats. And then that's when he starts getting all huffy. And he's like, <laughs> well, he's like, that, that's just that wasn't in range and he started flipping out and he's like you want to know what if you want to be that way man i'm just gonna drop it's like congratulations you won and he took off and he ended up going to the to and he told the to that i cheated and that he he had a terrible time and i'm just like you want to know what the guy and i rolled off for it and he lost the roll off and he's like oh the guy didn't tell me that it's like yeah that's because you know he's a douchebag so <laughs> So I guess the follow-up question is, have you always cheated at mini games, or was it just that time? I'll take this I one, Pete. I got this one for you. You always, yes. you always yes. do this. You always do this, uh, Pete. That is I will that say, should be a shirt. So something that I am notorious for is I am notorious for sometimes thinking that a rule or the writing of the card reads a certain way. And I'll just like in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the way it works. And they're like, uh, did you not read the last sentence? And I was like, oh, crap, <laughs> that totally changes it. So I am notorious for that. I will say sometimes I don't read the cards closely enough, I guess, sometimes. So I and, and I have no problem getting called out on that. It's all in good. 
That's funny. I, I got to tell you, you, you telling that whole series about the Warhammer fantasy stuff give, gives me the jitters because as good as that game was, that's the one thing you always saw was the boy, the rulers and protractors oh, and everything yeah. came out because positioning was everything in that game yeah, um, sure. and measurement was so, so important. And I never got into it and I'm kind of glad I didn't because I know how anal I am about measurement and Malifaux you and Guild Ball. I bet I would have hated it. Well, because with Warhammer fantasy, you had to measure the inches you wield so yeah. if i wanted to wheel the tray to the left i had to try to hold the left corner still and then they ended up coming up with widgets that helped a little bit but you would see some people do these wheels and they were almost like direct pivots and it, there was a lot of arguments about it that would pop up for sure yeah yeah so chris let's hear yours buddy what is your personal big oh, rage man. quit there's Buckle too many up. to name, but uh, <laughs> I need the best. Dude, well, give the one with Kevin. Okay, do the one with Kevin. That's my favorite. Which the one, dude? The oh, war, okay. war machine <laughs> tournament, right, so. where you drop the f bomb in the middle of the store, where everybody can hear it <laughs> in front of all the little kids. Um, so we're we're playing this game. Uh, we're playing a, a small war machine tournament. It was like four people, right? So oh, wow. Pete's running it. There's four guys there. It's 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 an insignificant tournament, yeah. right? <laughs> and we get playing in this game and there was this guy, Kevin, and he's, he's the type of guy where like, he is kind of combative to play against. Um, he's not a bad guy by any means, but he's, he, 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 he'll be argumentative. He tends to, you know, see things his way and, um, you know, it, it can be a little bit difficult at times. Anyway, so we're both playing. It's a pretty casual tournament. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm letting him kind of take things back here and there. He's kind of playing a new faction. He was playing men off at the time. And I'm like, okay, so, so we're just playing kind of loosey goosey, right? So we're getting to the end and it's to the point where I'm making an assassination run on his caster with one of my war jacks. Um, this is a war machine tournament, obviously. And I, I, I'm kind of counting things up. And I'm, you know how it is with War Machine where, you know, you get your auto to attacks that don't count toward your focus, but then your focus can boost things or it can buy no more attacks. Most people that know that game recognize that like there's things that you have to kind of like hold in your head and like there, there are errors that can be made. Anyway, so I say... <laughs> um, He's already We're, getting a little fired up. We, we go through it and I say, okay, I'm not going to boost this attack because I want to boost the next attack. And I, I go through and I, I roll normal and it, it misses, right? And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to buy this attack and then I'm going to boost it. And he's like, well, no, 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 you can't boost that. You can only buy it. And I'm like, and, and he's, he's correct. And I'm like, well, shit, like, okay, fine. Let me roll another die on that one then because I obviously would have boosted it if I just didn't mistake my count right so like it, it, it pissed me off because like i stated like what my intention was right right but like he almost like held back recognizing that i was making an error yeah um yeah like and so i i don't like playing games where like there's not the good faith where like when someone's when somebody like has a scheme in their mind and they don't say what they're doing or don't state like i'm within this or whatever and then they're not like I understand somebody being like tough luck at that point, but if somebody's going to like communicate with me, right. I want to be able to like play in good faith anyway. So I'm like, you know what? I've been letting you take stuff back this whole fucking game and you're not going to let me just boost an attack when I explained why 
or how my my focus was being counted and all of this kind of stuff. And so he's like, well, I mean, you already rolled the dice. You rolled the dice. And Pete wasn't there for like that whole discussion. And so he gets called over, obviously, because he's the T.O. And Pete's like, well, I really can't do anything like you did roll the dice. Like, dice are rolled. And it's a I'm like, all right. And so I'm just kind of sitting there and like, I'm just, I'm just boiling, just looking at this board. Cause you know, you have those moments where like you lose and then you're just like staring at the board. <laughs> yeah. Like what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and so I'm just staring at the board and finally it just bubbles up and I just like clench my fists and, and you know, it just kind of flex within myself and I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> and I was just, I was just furious. Um, and then to make it worse, like Kevin actually at that point, like he realizes I'm pissed. So he's trying to be a nice guy. So he's trying to help me like kind of pick up my stuff and like move it over. So he goes to pick up this, like this extreme destroyer, like this oversized overbuilt model. Right. And as he picks it up, it like breaks apart in his hands. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, don't help me. Like, don't fucking help me. You weren't helping me there. Don't help me here. Stop breaking my fucking models. I was fucking pissed. So there, there's a rage quit story for you. And this is why we do the rage quits. Cause, and some people, and it was funny, Craig, cause some people, when we started the show really hated the rage quit stories. Cause they're like, how do you guys, you know, get laughs out of other people's misfortunes? And it's really cheesy and, you know, really low of you guys to do that. It's like, come on. It's like all in good fun. It's like, just enjoy it. It, everybody gets it once in a while. Just yeah, have fun with it. Pete, I couldn't disagree more with that comment because I think what it does is you, you relate to it. So Chris is telling that story and it, I immediately relate because I like <laughs> I may not have gone as far as he did, oh, but yeah. I've been there. And so has everybody. It's the same thing when you when you hear those stories. So, uh, no, I, that's one of the things that I love about your show is is just hearing it because we're we're all human. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, we, you know, we've all been there. So. So, guys, between the three of us, we have played and picked up and dropped several miniature games. So today, what I wanted to discuss with you guys is we're going to go over some of the better known mini games. So we're going to kind of do a kind of a quick overview um, and give our thoughts and opinions on kind of where the state of the systems are right now. So I want to talk about the good, what's good about them. What's not so good about them, uh, what's really bad about some of them, and maybe why we even dropped some of them. So we're going to do an overview of God Tier and Guild Ball, both from Steamforged. I want to talk about War Machine and Hordes from Privateer Press. Marvel Crisis Protocol from Atomic Mass Games. Kingdom Death Monster from Kingdom Death. A Song of Ice and Fire from Simon. Of course, we got to talk about Warhammer 40K from Games Workshop. And last but not least, let's finish off by talking about my favorite game, Malifaux from Weird Games. So we're going to go through all of that um, clip by clip uh, after the break. So we'll be right back. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. (laughs) 
So the first company uh, or the first game uh, I want to talk about is a game that really the three of us have in common. And it's a game that uh, people on the show have heard me talk about a lot. And that's Guild Ball from Steamforge Games. Now, I found Guild Ball from the original Kickstarter. So when the original Kickstarter came out, um, I bought into it. Uh, and it was the models, the sculpts that they were showing uh, that sold me on the game. Plus, I love the idea of playing football, soccer, but with like terrain, right? Like in the middle of a town or something like that. Just the concept of it was really good, but it was really the sculpts. And it took a while for the Kickstarter to get to me. By the time it got to me, I was already knee deep and I can't remember what I was. I was probably 40 K at the time. I was knee deep into that. And it sat on my shelf for like a year and a half. Didn't touch it. Didn't open it. And right when I was getting really fed up with 40 K, I said, you know what? I've got $200 worth of this shit on my, uh, on my shelf, I'm going to pull it down and start reading the rule book. And for me, Guild Ball was the first introduction to what I consider an elegant or well well rules or well put together rule set. Um, and it pushed me off of 40k and became my escape. So, Pete, let's start with you. Um, what's the good about Guild Ball? So, for people who love it or people who might love it, what is the aspect of Guild Ball that makes it good in your mind? I mean, it's murder soccer ball right it's it's just you're there's two ways to win the game and that's why it's it's a really good game because the objectives are simple it's do you like to score goals then hey go with a goal scoring team or do you love just punching stuff in the face then go with one of these killy teams yes i do so it's just it's a pretty straightforward game when you first look at it it's easy to pick up Low model count, so that's really good as well. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but anybody that's played Guild Ball will tell you that eventually you pick up a lot of guilds. It's just part of the beast. Yeah. And it had a good competitive scene uh, because the rules are really tight on it. It, The rules are just black and white. You can either do this or do this. And I've never come, I've never found something happen on the pitch where. I, t- I was TOing and somebody told me what happened and we couldn't find it real quick in the rule book. It's very straightforward. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. How about you, Chris? What's the good of Guild Ball? I, I think that team, that design team that they have over there at Steamforge is excellent. Like they, they understand games. They understand how to put together a balanced competitive game. They are, they are gamers, so they're practical on things. They're not trying to just run up the price on their models or anything. They're trying to deliver a product that's, you know, feasible for people to get into. And so I think that the fact that it's a company that's run by gamers is very helpful. And I think that their foresight has been, been a blessing to that game. Yeah. I mean, I I would argue that they've, they, in their own way, did a lot of innovations um, and in their own way, really kind of changed mini gaming a little bit. Um, and I set, set a new standard. Um, I completely agree with both of you. The rule set is um, the tightest rule set I've yet to come across. Um, it's a fun game. Uh, the lore is cool. Um, it, it's, it's a game that you can learn quickly, which I think is a huge selling point of the game. It doesn't take long to learn how to play guild ball. It takes a while to get good at guild ball and it takes a lot. You got to get your reps in to get good at guild ball. Um, but it's good. So Pete, um, what kind of person would not enjoy guild ball? I think somebody who likes obviously futuristic games, isn't probably going to be a fan of it. It's very, old timey even the machines that are in there they're very steampunky they're kind of just working just brass tacks some gears here and there 
I think also somebody who likes the grandeur of gaming, somebody who enjoys those really exciting moments where you have these dozens of models, you know, hitting these other models. You're not going to get that in Guild Ball. You'll get some really interesting moments in Guild Ball. It's just not going to be of that magnitude. So I think those are kind of the two types of people that will really not like it. And we also have a local who doesn't. He likes Guild Ball because he likes the people that plays it, but he finds it frustrating because for somebody who's really casual and doesn't focus on the rules as much, he forgets a lot of the rules of Guild Ball, just all the small nuances of it. He'll be like, well, can I counterattack this? And, oh, when's this trigger? And it's just something that the rules can be a little overwhelming in Guild Ball just because the person that knows the rules better is going to win usually that game of Guild Ball. I don't disagree with that. There's 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 no interpretation that happens in Guild Ball. It's it's a pretty much black and white, which is a selling point of the game. Uh, but if you're not up on the rules, you're going to get beat by somebody who 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 knows the rules better. So, Chris, what is um, in your mind uh, the ugly uh, of Guild Ball? So, where does Guild Ball fall short? Um, I think that we're coming up on that in the future, which is I think that there's kind of an endpoint. Right. I don't think that they're forever going to be able to add more guilds and more models. I think that unfortunately it's kind of sad and, and there are people that are kind of leaving the game. I think a little bit early, but I think that they should give it a still stick with it for a while. But I foresee a time where there's not really more they can add to it. They get a balanced game and it becomes like a legacy game. And, and so, you know, knowing when to call it quits is it's, it's not a bad thing, but it's the ugly is eventually it's going to come to an end. Well, I think that's the problem though, is that when you look at guild ball, the more you add to it, the more the guilds become similar. And then it's like, well, why am I playing this different guild? Cause now the brewers are just like the fishermen. So it, I think that's kind of what you're talking about a little bit too, Chris. Uh, the other thing that I would say that I would add to what Pete said was it is a game that's kind of interesting in the fact that it's kind of a grimdark, low magic world. Yeah. And so yeah. not only do you not get the sci-fi stuff that Pete mentioned, but you also don't get the creatures. Yeah. So if you want to be able to play as monsters and you want to be able to play as all sorts of really cool dragons and stuff, you're not going to get that. Nope. <laughs> No, and, and for some people, that's a selling point, right? That they like that kind of truly um, m- medieval as opposed to fantasy type setting because it re- really has that. And the whole guild system and the, you know, the, the, that the lore is built around has that as well. Um, and again, people that are listeners are, are, are not surprised by this. I'm a huge fan of the game, but I stopped playing it. Um, and it was Malifaux that got me off of Guild Ball. So the only ugly I'll throw out there, and for some, this is actually going to be a selling point. Is for me, there was I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. The rules were almost too tight. I found the game to be solvable. And the way I explain this to people that makes seems to register the most is if I am watching a battle report and I see a decision point in the battle report where my opponent's doing A, I'm doing B. And the interaction is about to happen. And I see a decision made by one of the players. I will argue in Guild Ball that you can you can make a definitive argument if that was a good or a bad play. That was the right play or it was not the right play, which for some is very attractive. Right. The fact that that the game is that clean for me, 
I, I need something with a little bit more nuance and I, I don't want more chance, right? So I don't want it to be more random, but I would like there to be enough layers to the game that there isn't always a clear choice. There isn't always you hire this model versus that, that model. You charge here or you attack there. I'd like there to be enough that we can have a conversation about it uh, because that, that allows, for me, it allows the player style to, to influence things more. Um, but like I said, that's a selling point for some people. It just, for me, I needed a little bit more nuance. Well, we actually have a local who, and I kind of say this all the time now because he's right. And I can practice the same kickoff and I know exactly the way my turn one should look. And this local just told me probably about a year ago, he's just like, man, there's only so many times I can score 12 points before it gets boring. Yeah. And, because that's it. That's just 12 points and the game's over. So you have to hit that before. And Chris and I have talked with John, who's one of our other hosts on the show, about this all the time, where they had this huge power creep with uh, their new season that came out with season four. And the new captains, most of the guilds got third uh, captains. And those captains have been bananas. They just they have sped up the game so quickly that most of the times by turn three, the game's over, which, it, yeah, it's it's a lot of them at turn two. It's over. It's kind of. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a problem. So let's move over. We'll come back to St- uh, Steamforge a little bit later. But now I want to talk about a game that we uh, talked about uh, at, before the break, and that is War Machine and Hordes from Privateer Press. Now, um, I'll start by saying that I actually have never played either game. Now, um, in part of my quest to search for a game to play um, when I was starting to get fed up with 40K, I started looking. And one of the places I went to was War Hordes because it was probably the second biggest game at the time that I started looking. Uh, bought the rule books. The aesthetic did nothing for me. The whole Warjack thing, for whatever reason, just I didn't do it for me. Um, Pete, who was the, uh, what's the faction with the robes, the religious faction? Uh, retrib- or not Retribution, that's uh, Menoth. Menoth, right? So the Menoth, the models for that faction, because I was coming from playing Templars in 40K. Oh, yeah, that's totally that. So Menoth, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I liked how that looked and stuff. So I- I'm not going to be able to contribute a whole lot here because I've never played the game, but I will tell you that the uh, simplicity of the rule set, uh, or not the rule set, the simplicity of the... Um, objectives uh the the win objectives was something that i found interesting because it was uh, more intricate than 40k but it's also what i hear complained about the most so before we head to that though so pete in your mind what's the good uh of warm hordes warm hordes is especially when i first got into it because i got into it pretty close to when it first kicked off and just the fact that you have a warcaster and I've literally had games where I had almost all models dead, but my Warcaster or my Warlock ended up going on an assassination run and just winning the game. So the fact that you're almost like never out of a game is pretty cool about that. Uh, I do love the models in that system. I do lean a little bit, bit more towards the uh, the Horde section of it. I love, uh-huh. yeah, I love. A lot of the Horde models, the Trollbloods were really cool. Uh, I also love the Circle of Orberos. That's one that I hit for a while just because of all the jank they had. And all the factions play very differently. So there's, 
it's almost like a keyword that you have in the new Malifaux system where each faction had a something that made them unique. And with like troll bloods, it was the tough factor where they, it doesn't matter what they took. They always had a chance to, you know, come back up after they were you know, almost killed. So just it's a very it was very different from 40K when I came from that, just because you had you could always be in it. Didn't matter if you only had one model left. And the fact that there were different objectives that could also win you the game and you could yep. score points off. And I also love that there was a clock. That was the yeah. first game that I played with a clock where I was like, this is what I needed in a lot of my tournament games because I can't tell you how many 40K games where you can tell the motherfuckers wasting time on you and there's nothing you can do about it besides call a judge over. That's one yeah. of the most frustrating things competitive-wise. No, I agree. How about you, Chris? What's your what's your good take on uh, Warmer Hearts? I, I like the I like the world that it's set in. I like the kind of epic scope of what you're putting on the table. I, I I really like a lot of elements. I think that the nature of casters and and uh, jacks or or beasts is one of the coolest features of any of these games. Like that 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 synergy element I think is so cool. And we can argue about individual mechanics of individual casters and all that kind of stuff and there's broken stuff in there, but the point is I think that for somebody that gets into the spirit of miniatures games, like they really have kind of hit an essence of what it is, right? Having, having that hero and having that synergy with its, you know, monsters or robots. And then the world that they placed it in is just really cool. I, I, I like, I like War Machine a lot and I wish for some different things. And if those different things were in place, I would probably be playing it more, but they just don't have. Well, it. let's so let's move to the bad real quick then. Uh, well, you're before, gonna say something before, yeah, before we get to the bad, I was going to say this was actually the first system I played where you could interact with your own models, where you could actually oh. pick up your model and you could throw it. Or yeah. you could even knock down your own models. You could target them with spells and that was the first system that really I saw that. Plus they have a really cool system for their damage because with the Warjacks and the beasts, you can actually pseudo target certain parts where you could actually lose function of the left arm or you could lose function of with beasts. If you hit a certain spiral, they can't either move as much or they're not able to be allocated as much focus. Uh, so it's just it was a really interesting game and they did a lot of things that you didn't see in traditional tabletop games. Yeah, they they were ahead of the curve for a long time yep. uh, from a, from a rule perspective. So, Chris, you mentioned that you don't play anymore. So let's talk about the bad. What are, what are some reasons why you left Warm Hearts? It, it just exploded into too much. Like you just it was there were so many factions and so many models and hundreds and hundreds of models within even one faction that you couldn't get a grip on it. And so for somebody like me who I get frustrated with gotcha moments yeah. because I feel like I'm doing a good job and then I feel like I got tricked, <laughs> that's not going to work for me. And so, and I knew that gotcha moments would always happen in that game because it was just too, it became, it grew into an unruly monster. Yeah, I was told uh, by several Warm Horse players, uh, some that have left the game, that meta knowledge was so important in that game that it that it w- that was the deciding factor on who won is who who knew the most about the most number of models. How about you, Pete? 
Yeah, there's a couple of things that are frustrating. Definitely what Chris is saying, because no matter how much you play, especially if you go to a bigger tournament and if you're playing against a faction you never see, then you get a lot of feel bads because you just don't know some of the some of the casters or you don't know some of the attachments or some of the solos. So that can become really frustrating. So that's one thing. The other thing that became frustrating for me is when you go to a tournament, you literally have, and at the time it was great because 40 K you submit a list and that's pretty much it. But in war machine and hordes, you got to choose two war casters. Actually, was it two or three? Might be three, but I can't remember. It's been so long. But you submit those two Warcaster lists, and then when you and your opponent are looking at them, I'm pretty sure it's two, you then secretly select which one you're going to pick. And at the time, that was good because it was better than the old thing. But now, yeah. now that I think about it, I'm kind of like, well, I mean, what if I pick the wrong one? What if I just don't have any, like neither of my caster does anything against what they brought, then I'm just hosed. So that was frustrating as well. You got to give them credit, though, Pete, for doing something that hadn't been yeah, done before. Sure. Right. So, I mean, and you could argue weird is built off of that concept and improved it in many ways. But, you know, credit where credit's due, which is I mean, they were the first. Right. They were the first to say, you know, let's make this a little bit more interesting. Let's make it a little less rock, paper, scissors and give some flexibility at that stage. Whereas in 40K um, and fantasy, too, was who can build, build the best all comers list. Right. Who can build the most uh, the list that can that that can take on uh, the most on average. Whereas, you know, that, that concept of being able to cater a little bit and make some choices is interesting. Yeah. The thing that probably pisses me off the most about worm hordes is, and some people love this and that's fine, but I hated because it's a turn-based system. So your opponent does their whole turn, you do your whole turn. So you're sitting there after your, let's just say second turn and you have a good plan on how you want to approach your third turn. The problem is your opponent might have set up some trap or some kind of situation that you are not aware of. And then next thing you know, most of your stuff's dead. And now you have nothing to do for the rest of the game because there's no way to bring them back unless you have some recursion list, which there's not a ton of. And yeah. you just sit there pissed off the rest of the game because the cool thing you wanted to do can no longer happen. Yeah. Chris, that sounds like a lot of fun to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. Which, don't sucks. get me wrong. When when you're the person, <laughs> so, I, th- I think that that's something that modern games are. But when you're the out. person doing it, it feels better. Like <laughs> I used to play a lot of Bradigus, and people can complain about Bradigus during their third edition, right? Because Bradigus, you could just they had this cool synergy built in where whenever you hit something, it gave you plus one to your next attacks with all of your beasts. So you just go in with all these stone golems, and you're just pounding the crap out of everybody. And there's been times where I, on my feet turn, I literally just killed everything and you feel dirty doing it, but man, it feels good. (laughs) Yeah. Just, it just creates a negative gameplay experience for the opponent because they're just sitting there doing nothing, right? Like, so, so not only are they losing, but they're also not able to participate. And so, and not having fun. And, and, and then you look at a situation like that where, you know, you're killing off the models, you can't bring them back. And if you notice that some of these newer games that we talk about, uh, we already talked about Guild Ball, we're going to talk about Marvel Crisis Protocol, they don't have a mechanic where you never see that model again. Yeah. You're able to bring them back. You're able to have that experience again. So it's not, oh, you just killed the one little cog that makes my whole thing go. And, well, this is going to be a fucky game for, from the here on out. I think a lot of companies are getting rid of that alpha strike. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't help anybody. And, uh, and of course, it's always going to be the model you just got done painting and you were super proud of. That's going to get wiped off the board first. Um, so here's an interesting question for you, Chris. You have played War of Hordes. You don't play it anymore. You've expanded out. And you're looking at other games. And you're having fun with other games. What would Privateer Press need to do? What would they have to change to get you back? They would need to come to that end point that I talked about with Guild Ball. They would need to get to a point where everything's set, everything's released, everything's balanced, and then I would actually probably play it more. Gotcha. Because I wouldn't have to worry about I wouldn't have to worry about uh what what do they call their their change mechanics little thing that they do every month or whatever. CID. So they can't that was another problem that yeah, I got a lot of people angry. Yeah, so you so you're you're they're always tweaking the rules and the mechanics of that game, and it's just it just gets to the point that it's annoying. I, I wish that there was a way that and, and it's tough to do because new stuff gets people excited. But I wish that there was a way that they could put something in stasis where they know they have a balanced game but could keep people excited. Maybe it's through running tournaments or having a, you know, a strong, a strong company that is, has other games that they're able to be putting out, but they're still supporting the existing legacy game so that people want to play it. And maybe they're releasing new sculpts or, you know, other types of things to get people excited. Um, but not to where they're constantly changing the rules and you have to read the new CID every single month. And it, it, it just got to the point where, yeah, meta knowledge was just brutal. And it, it, they call it an open information game. But at some point, it, it can't be when it's too big yeah. because I can't, I, I can't sit there and, and receive all of the information of all the different ways that this guy can, like, screw me. Yeah. Right. So, and he doesn't want to share that anyway because he's trying to screw me. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's that element too, where it's like, you know, at, at a certain point when you can't have a honest, uh, intellectually honest discussion with your opponent, then you no longer have a game that's truly open information. Yeah. One of the things that kind of bugs me a little bit about the assassination run concept is that almost is built into the rules, this gotcha concept where I'm going to do a, then B, then C, and I'm going to win the game because I killed your Warcaster. And if you can suss out what my A, B, and C are, then you're going to try to stop it. So I'm going to try to hide it, and we're going to kind of go back and forth, and hopefully I can do this, then that, then this. And you know, this also gets into the no reaction mechanic of I do all my shit first, and then you do all your shit first. Um, I, I think it's a, a fundamental flaw um, uh, in the game. So, guys, what we're going to do is I want to take a break. When we get back from this break, we're going to go back to Steamforge game and talk about God Tier, and then we're going to go over to Atomic Mass Games and talk about Marvel Crisis Protocol. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. 
Check them out at custommeeple.com. That's with one M. Or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So, and this is, I think, ultimately a compliment to Steamforge Games, the fact that they've got two games on this list. Um, And I got to tell you that God Tier right now is the game that I want to play the most that I'll probably never get to, just because I only have so much time uh, that I can get into it. But um, I have, I I don't know, well, that's not true. The other game in this segment has a similar amount of hotness, but... Um, I'm hearing so many good things about good uh, God tier. Um, I'm hearing it from a lot of the people that I have uh, implicit respect for uh, people that I know understand tabletop minis um, like the same type of things that I like. Uh, and there's little doubt in my mind that if I could quit my job and find time uh, to play God tier, that I would absolutely love it. So uh, Chris, um, let's, let's talk about what you think is good about God tier. What is steam forge got right here? I think that they capitalized on some things that they were not able to put into Guild Ball. So it's all about monsters, right? It's all about these champions that are able to go do work. And I love that. I think that that's a lot of fun. And so they created this brand new mythos. And then the other thing that I, th- I think was wise is they created a game that is a very good introductory game for people that aren't as experienced with miniatures games. And so they have a hex system where you don't have the openness of having a, you know, measure everything with the tape measure, because we all know the tape measures are the only ways to measure. (laughs) And, (laughs) and we, uh, we're, we're able to just work off of a hex system. So somebody that doesn't have that experience with previous miniatures games are able to just get playing and and go to work and they can they it passes that christmas day test that they somebody can get it as a gift open it up play it right there on christmas day you're not it doesn't always have to be a super meta type situation yeah you know it's funny you say that because i think after you've been playing many games for a long time you take for granted uh, uh, you know, you know, the openness of of measurement based games, but it's kind of intimidating for people to come into uh, when they're when they come from from board games. Um, so, no, I completely agree about that, Chris. And, and I hadn't thought about that. And it's something that I think that GW is trying to do with um, what well, Shade Spire Underworld. They change the name of the fucking thing every three minutes. Uh, Shade Spire Underworld's up and downs, um, you know, with, with that hex base. Pete, what do you think is good about God tier? I think there's a lot going on for God tier. Uh, I've actually talked with a lot of people about it recently because I've been streaming a lot of painting and just been talking to some locals and stuff. I've uh, been streaming for our local game shop, just some paint sessions. And just talking about games, people are just excited about just some of the good core mechanics you see with this. You just need three champions and then you get their followers. And then depending on what your champion's good at, that's how you can score points. There's there's different ways to score. You can score points by killing the champion. You can score points by killing the followers. And that stuff comes back, though. It's not just dead and gone. There's actually ways to get it back into the game. So it gets rid of those feel bads. And the thing that's really impressive about this game is that there's a ladder system. So for each turn, you're getting points and you're 
bringing this ladder almost like a tug of war back and forth. And then at the end of the turn, whoever side that is on, they get the round points. Yeah. And then it's just whoever gets to, I believe, Chris, you can correct me if it's wrong. I think it's five points. Whoever gets five points first, they're the winner. So if that happens on turn three or turn four, you don't have to prolong the ass kicking if you're getting your ass beat. It's just it's slick. It's a slick little system that they designed. And you're not out of it if you're getting your ass beat, because there are times with some of these games where you the wrong things happen and you're like, I'm going to sit through another hour and a half of this game. And it's just a matter of time till they end end it. But I know I can't win in God tier. If you're still playing, you can still win. And I think that's a really, really cool elastic band element to this game. Yeah, and I, and I have heard a lot of people talk about how innovative that scoring system is, and that the that the simplicity of it also has an incredible amount of layers to it too. Um, so, uh, God damn it, I'm going to end up playing this goddamn game. I, now. I will add that because some people yes, are you will. some people are turned off by the hex system, but there's actually a lot of intricate just nuances with placement and movement in this. Because you place the god tier hexes and the followers, most of them can't go into those hexes. So you can actually, when you place the hexes each turn, you can actually kind of wall off your opponent or maybe defend yourself or make it where only their champion can come to you and placing your banner where maybe the followers can't get it. So there's a lot of small nuances that you don't see at first, but the more you play it and look at the rules, it's, it's a really cool system. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so Pete, let's move over to with some of the shortcomings. Um, so maybe the easiest way to do that is what is some, what are aspects of uh, God tier that people would be turned off by? Uh, well, we interviewed Jamie Perkins about this and he told us straight up that the dice are swingy as hell. So Sometimes you're Dude, it's swinging like an old man's balls. Easy. Easy. Now. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> you're welcome. So I just wanted somebody to have a real good visual of how swingy it is well, but, and, and get a sense of what it's like to listen to Rage Quit Wire, right? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome, world. <laughs> you were saying, Pete. All I was going to say is that so that's good and bad because it's that means sometimes you just can't depend on it. Sometimes your champion might go in there and whiff. But then again, sometimes your little follower might be able to go in there and do something he's not usually going to do. I, I love that idea of the guy with the pistol aiming at the tank and it blows up. And yeah. I, I don't I don't care if it was an accident, but, you know, sometimes that's cool to happen. But it'll piss some people off because some people love reliable dice. Yeah, some people like to mitigate the randomness, right? Uh, and I'm one of those people. But I also have to to say, you're not. I don't completely disagree with you because you know having those epic moments is is, is awesome, right? When the uh, you know the uh, the guardsman takes out the inquisitor in 40k, you know, with his flashlight and stuff like that. I mean, those moments are are fantastic when they happen. If you if you're more than just a casual player though, and you like a little bit of a test yourself type game then those that swinginess um, can be done. It's interesting that Perkins was open about it. Not interesting. It's good that he was open about that and said, Hey, this is part of the game. This is part of, this is not, this is a feature, not a bug. Um, how about you, Chris? What are things that uh, potentially um, either you don't like about God tier or you think other people wouldn't like about it? There's not a lot that I dislike now. Um, I do have some concerns Going toward the future, for example, there is a little bit of a rock, paper, scissors element to it with 
picking the right uh, champion versus this other guy's champion. And so I am a little bit concerned about situations where somebody says, hey, I know this guy likes to play these models. I'm intentionally going to uh, build a list against what he's brought. And, and I, I don't think that's a good way to play games. I think that, you know, it's better for you to just say, Hey, I really love these models. I really love these characters. I, they should be able to be playable maybe with a couple tweaks, but I don't really like the idea of somebody being able to craft specifically against their opponent. Yeah, you need counters, right? I think counters are interesting. They make a game interesting, but hard, hard counters can really, really destroy a game. So that makes sense. What are your thoughts, Pete? And I don't think it's that bad now. I think that it's just something that I am keeping my eye out for. There's the potential of it going there. And another thing is that this is, once again, it's a good or bad, depending on who you are. It's a bad for me, is that the models look pretty good. Like they're... They're right out of the box. You don't have to assemble anything. And they're they're good quality models. And I'm not going to say that they're not. But the hobbyist in me likes the assembling. I like the modifying a little bit. I like the to maybe add a little bit to it, take a little bit away from it. And I just, it can, when I look at my stuff and it looks the exact same as your stuff, it's it's uninspiring to me sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that that, that is definitely, it depends on who you are. There's something very appealing. And Steamforge stumbled on this at the beginning, but I think they've come a long way on the no assembly models. The single mold models um, are pretty impressive um, and uh, not where they were three, four years ago. So if you haven't looked at recently, they're solid sculpts. Uh, you need to go back and look at it because in their own way, they're becoming uh, innovators in that respect as well. As is CMON. I give CMON credit for that as well. They've come a long oh, way yeah. um, as far as that's concerned. No, no. I, I, I was just going to say, sorry. I, I just want to say that I think that what Pete's saying for like a real pure hobbyist, that is a critique. But for the vast majority of folks, I think they, they would rather it. spend their time playing and maybe even painting, if they like painting, not a lot of people love the kit bashing. Like, it's neat when you see it pulled off well, but most people, that's not their focus in the hobby. Most people want to play or paint, and they're great models to paint. They look they look very good, and um, for Pete, I'll make sure to base my models really cool so they look better than yours, and then you won't have that problem of them looking Fair. the same. You're 100% right, Chris. I'm more like Pete, right? I like to build my models. I like to make them unique. And when I have the opportunity to make them unique, I like to spend a stupid amount of time painting them. But Pete and I are the exception. The vast majority of people would like a game where I can buy the game, put it on the table, even if it was painted out of the thing box, that's even better, let alone built. So, uh, Chris, your argument is correct that that is, that is for most people a draw, not a, uh, not an ugly by any stretch. You gotta look at the minorities too, Craig. <laughs> We're important people, Pete. That's right. <laughs> We're old as hell. That's what Says we are. Says the two white guys <laughs> to the Asian guy on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. So let's talk about a game that I actually play, which is uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol from Atomic Games. This has officially become my second game. Um, normally, uh, with many games, I I have two games. I have my main and my secondary game, and my main is obviously Malifaux, but uh, Marvel Crisis protocol has been for me a perfect side game um so pete let's let's talk about what you like about marvel crisis protocol what did they get right Woo, man this game's fun 
Like if you're just looking for a fun game, this they nailed it. Just superheroes. They put the big names in their starter box, at least a bunch of them. They have a good release schedule kind of pending. They got so much to pull from just because the Marvel Universe is so huge that the well is not going to go dry anytime soon. And it's just one of those things where I even heard I was talking with people on the stream yesterday and they, we were even talking about, well, there's whispers that they might even create different versions of a character because oh. in, in the comic books, there are so many different versions and they're just that's something I know Chris loves because Chris is our you know in-house comic book nerd. But the last thing that is just awesome about this game is the models. Yeah. The models are sometimes a pain, not quite Malifaux pain in the ass to put together, but once you get them together, their detail is really good. No, I agree. I think the sculpts are fantastic. Um, how about you, Chris? What do you think is the selling point of Marvel Crisis? So Marvel Crisis Protocol is a game that I, I've seen all of the guys in our area get into. I haven't gotten into it which I think most people are surprised by because I'm yeah, the that comic really, book nerd. very surprising. Yeah, so I I haven't gotten into it, and I, I can't give you really specific reasons. I think that a big part is just I'm kind of waiting to see what comes out, and there will probably be models at some point that just capture That'll break you. Right? May, yeah, so so maybe it'll be when they release the X Men models or or something like that that I just get I just get caught up. Um, it seems a little bit scenario heavy for me. Like I like that butcher element, like you said yep. in your intro, where you, I can just run up and chop someone in the face. And there's not as much of that because you just kind of knock the guy back, and then you're playing for the scenario again. So. For me, it seemed a little bit scenario heavy, and so I've kind of just held back. I'm also not really an early adopter on games typically, and this is still really early on. But it is. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, by no means am I writing this game off. I think that there is a lot of promise to it, and I will probably be playing it in the future. And yeah, especially if they're doing if they're doing custom versions of things, and you can play as weapon x wolverine versus that more traditional wolverine um versus the alpha flight version of wolverine like mr those types of things start getting me (laughs) yep yep those types of things old man logan like those types of things will start capturing me i'm sure they will um and somebody i saw somebody post on facebook like what models you want to see come out and i'm like so i I was kind of being a smart ass here but because i know they're not going to do this right now but i was kind of (laughs) like i posted i'm like galactus and silver surfer obviously um (laughs) or or punisher but it's like just him he's like the whole team it's frank and then like a shit ton of bombs that he like sets up as booby traps like that would be awesome so they they have a mechanic in the game where they put out these scenarios and i forget what the name of the scenarios are but what they are is just a three-player game where you have i think it's ultimate or something where you have one player play one model so the first one they put out was ultron And then the second one they put out was Hulk, which you have one person playing Ultron, but it's a souped up Ultron, kind of a comic book Ultron. And then you have another one where you play one person plays the Hulk, but it's a souped up Hulk like Hulk would really be in the comics, not balanced at all. And they've got one coming out for Red Skull, too. And then you have two opponents, which are two crisis teams of five, six models each. And it's basically all of them against you playing the one model. And it's so comic book, dude, that I think. Like 
it was funny with the first, uh, when you and I, you know, as you and I've gotten to know each other more, Chris, I was just like, I think where Chris will get hooked is if Pete can arrange to get a three player <laughs> game where Chris plays Hulk and Pete and somebody else that Chris doesn't like plays the two <laughs> other crisis teams. Joe. I think that would hook you, Chris, because it's so comic book. <laughs> Yeah, there are definitely such promising elements with this game. And so although I've kind of held back and pulled back the reins and part of it is also just, you know, you kind of just have to, you know, pick your poison with these miniatures games because we're not all billionaires. So we can't just invest in every (laughs) game under the sun. Right. And so, um, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to drop, you know, a hundred bucks for the starter, which is a great deal. Um, but dropping a hundred bucks plus buying these extra boosters and you're like, you know, I just don't have the money for this right now because I'm locked in my house. Well, so <laughs> yeah. Here, here's, yeah, you're hundred percent right, Chris. And here's the reality of it is it, there's going to be a limiting factor for everybody. It's either going to be money, time or both. Um, so for me, it's more time than money because uh, just cause I'm lucky, but for some people it's more money than time. And for some people it's both. And, and, and you do, you have to make the cut. I mean, it's, it comes back to why I'm not playing God tier. If I had unlimited time, I would definitely dive into God tier. Um, you know, part of my problem is, is too, is I never put one foot in the pond, in the pond. Every time I just jump in. Um, you know, so I've, I've played, I don't know, probably a dozen games total of Marvel crisis protocol. I already have four boards created for Marvel crisis <laughs> protocol. Cause I have a problem. Like I just, I can't just like kind of get into it. Right. That's why I have to limit myself to two games. But Chris, I give you credit because not being an early adopter is a very smart move yeah, because there's a lot of really good games that have come out and they've gone. And if you'd waited six months, eight months or a year, you would have saved yourself a lot of time and money. Star Wars um, Legion. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I Some just got people still play it. I got sucked into uh, a Kickstarter uh, for a, a, a naval game called Oak and Iron. I think it's called. Yeah. Oak and Iron is a ship game. And, you know, saw the video play of it and I don't have any other game nearly like it. This was a year ago. So I spent the 150 bucks on the Kickstarter. Well, the damn thing has shown up and I'm staring at it right now on the third floor. I've got a stack of boxes in shrink wrap and it's going to be kind of like Guild Ball. It's going to sit there probably dusty for at least a year now because I just don't have the time. It's kind of like uh, Rune Wars was kind of like that, too. A yeah. lot of people had a big hype about that and it just came out and it was too clunky. Yep. And it just died. Um, so, um, I think that's, I think that's legit. So here's my quick pitch and people that listen to the podcast have heard bits of this, but I think Pete, you nailed it. The game is fun. I've had more fun playing Marvel crisis protocol than any mini game I've played. Now, does it make it better than Malifaux? Not even close. Malifaux laps Marvel crisis protocol for me because I, there's things that I want from a game that Marvel crisis can't do, but it's also what makes it a great second game for me, but straight up, I have more fun playing the game than anything Two, You can get a game in within 45 minutes under an hour. You can easily get a game in, which I think is a huge selling point. I have very limited time between the podcast, the YouTube channel, the fact that I've got a full-time job, I don't have a whole lot of time to actually play. Plus, I like to paint and build. So what's great about Marvel Crisis Protocol is I can go on Wednesday night at the local shop and play two games of Marvel Crisis Protocol. Or I can go to the game shop on Tuesday night and play three-fourths, maybe a full game of Malifaux. And it's kind of nice to be able to get two, three games in. Um, Last but not least, the thing with Marvel Crisis Protocol, the rule set is very 
tight. It's a good rule set. It is not as deep as a lot of the other games we've already talked about and we're going to talk about, but it's thematic. You feel like you're playing superheroes. The models look like superheroes and uh, they, they have a, if their goal was to create a fun superhero minis game, they knocked it out of the park. So Pete, real quick, what is, what's the bad about Marvel crisis protocol in your mind or what concerns you or what kind of people wouldn't enjoy the game? Um, I think that the comic book thing is something that might hold people because they're just people that don't like that cartoony kind of style. And if you're not a fan of, you know, uncanny X-Men and all these cartoony, brightly colored dudes running around and doing these unrealistic things, you're, you're probably not going to be into the game. It's just, you got to have really this comic book mentality going into it because otherwise some of the stuff that happens doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. No, it's very true. How about you, Chris? I mean, outside of you've talked about, I think a lot about what's kept you out of the game. What are your biggest concerns about the game other than potential longevity? They're going to be very dependent. I believe going into the future on the Marvel, Marvel studios producing amazing movies. There is a reason why the X-Men aren't released. And I personally believe that it's because they're saying, we're going to hold back on this. And now that Marvel Studios owns X-Men, they're going to release an X-Men movie. And then we're going to release that. If those movies are duds, and I don't think they will be because they've done so well with the Avengers. But if those movies are duds, people are not going to want to buy buy those models and we see that it helped them when the movies were awesome nobody gives a shit about killmonger until black panther came out nope. and everyone was like killmonger's a badass nope, and now people true. are buying that killmonger box and so um you know that that's they're dependent on that and if i were a game maker i wouldn't like being dependent on that but you can you can work it to where it's it's beneficial well and this is going to be a bit of a right turn but chris you i think you'll be with me on this who would have thought that marvel movies would have lasted as long as they have already i mean the fact that they have been consistently putting out superhero movies that are this good for this long as a comic book fan if you went back and talked to 12 year old craig and said all right here's the deal the biggest movies coming out for a decade are going to be Iron Man, the Avengers, hmm. Doctor <laughs> Strange. They're going to make a movie about, they're going to make TV series is about the Punisher. I'd be, a 12 year old me would be like, get the hell out of here. Um, and the quality is good. I think it's good, here to stay. Do you really? I, I think, see, see, I, yeah. I worry about that. I worry about the saturation, but you, you feel good about it, huh? It, it'll, it'll ebb and flow just like with comics, right? But just like I look at, let's take a character like Daredevil, right? Just like I look at Daredevil and I'm like, okay, this is the Frank Miller run on Daredevil versus the Ed Brubaker run on Daredevil. There will be that same thing with these movies where they're going to relaunch it. There will be new Captain Americas and all these types of things. And people will be like, man, my favorite was the Chris Evans uh, Captain America. And the reason why I know this is because we've seen it with all of the Batman and Superman movies. There are better and worse Batman and Superman movies. And obviously, like for me, the Chris Nolan Batman trilogy is the best one. But they will just keep remaking these, keep telling new stories. They will pull the stories out of the comics and, you know, tell those those new ones that they get. Uh, just like they did with uh, 
the old man Logan story and the Logan movie with Hugh Jackman, right? Like they've, they, they run Hugh Jackman dry on, on Wolverine. They, they told every Wolverine story they could. And what's going to happen. They're going to now take over this franchise at Marvel studios. They're going to cast a new Wolverine and everyone's going to argue about, man, I really like the Hugh Jackman Wolverine versus the, uh, let's say it's Tom Hardy, whoever it is. Yep. Uh, so I think we're going to see these for a long time. And hopefully these movies are great and it doesn't ebb uh, or, you know, and flow poorly for Mar- Marvel Crisis Protocol because Marvel Crisis Protocol does have a lot of potential there. So I'd be curious, Pete, you're not nearly as much of a comic book geek as uh, maybe Chris and I are. Um, I, what are your are you tired of watching superhero movies? I See, I wasn't big into the comics, but I love the movies. I was more of a DC kid growing up just because of that's when they were relaunching a lot of the Batman movies. You know, you had Keaton and even Clooney and all those other goofy Batman. And then they started coming out with more realistic kind of making superheroes feel more realistic like they could exist. And that's when like some of the X-Men movies started coming out. I really got into those. Uh, you start seeing people like Deadpool and you, that starts scratching an itch. And then yep. obviously all this Avengers stuff, they're just good stories. And for me, I can appreciate that. It's actually made me go and pick up some comics. I'm still not into all the canon like Chris's, but I, I still appreciate it. And some of the stories are so good that it, it it does speak to me a little bit. But I'm still more of a fantasy guy, so I'm going to lean more into that. But like you said, this is going to be a great I wouldn't even say second game for me. It's probably going to be a great third or fourth game. I yeah. play a lot of games. I play a lot so, of games. Um, all right. So now I'm going to ask one last question before our next break, which is, as a guy who's a huge fantasy fan, what is what is the fantasy IP that is untapped that someone needs to create the next Game of Thrones, the next Witcher? What 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 is the fantasy uh, material out there that they haven't brought to the smaller big screen yet? Man, I mean... Oh, I got it. I got it. Well, pick you start. Me, look, me. Go ahead, Chris, right, and I'll, Chris. I'll think after your answer. There's Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. I've never it's read completely those. Completely untapped. Um, they're they're kind of a slow burn because he had already established himself, and so the first part of those of that first novel, The Way of Kings, like you got to read. Like uh, he was he was asking a lot as far as like the learning curve and going slow. But once you get into it, it's awesome. There's different factions that you could break it into to where it could be a miniatures game if you wanted. It's epic in scope to where you could make nice long TV series out of it. Um, family friendly, like there's nothing that's really hardcore like Game of Thrones to where you're going to not be able to watch it with your kids. Um, but Less it's rapey. an adult fantasy series. <laughs> yeah, but it's an adult fantasy series. So it's still compelling to adults. It's not it's not Harry Potter. Right. So um, and that's not to say that Harry Potter isn't compelling to. Yeah, but every time I talk to you, Chris, you you, you make my Amazon book list get longer. Like, it's, I swear, because like the way you talk about books, I'm like, fuck, I need to read that too. <laughs> How about you, well, Pete? What what is someone? Go ahead, Chris. No, no, no. Well, well, yeah, I'll let Pete. I'll let Pete go. All right. So, Pete, what what's the un, what's the untapped uh, gold that's out there right now? And I don't. That's a problem with a lot of fantasy stuff. There's there's a lot that has been used in some vein and I'm kind of struggling to think of a story that I'm like, man, that would be a really cool fantasy kind of genre. But I mean, I know one that, um, man, you start getting into some fantasy stuff like 
some of the old 80s stuff, like you could even co- combine a lot of that. You start going to things like Labyrinth. I think oh, Labyrinth God. could be a pretty cool. You don't even have to keep it as cheesy, but the idea of this maze that you have to kind of work through and you can make different goals out of that. And some of, even though it was, you know, Jim Henson puppets, it's still the idea and a lot of the, the puppets that were used in that movie were really cool. That would make really cool models. Labyrinth was fantastic. I don't care. Yeah. I, and Labyrinth is a movie that actually holds up, which really yeah. surprised me when I, mean, I back, David Bowie. Yeah. I went back and watched it again. Full expectation. It was going to be like Willow. Willow does not hold up. I hate Willow so bad. When right I was now. a kid, I loved <laughs> Willow. I thought Willow was fantastic. I went back and watched it again as, as an adult. And I'm like, this good. is a, ter- this is a bad movie. This is a same bad thing, movie. Same thing. I went back and watched never ending story. Yes. Yeah, and good. I think the graphics hold that up for me. Like the story's okay still, but the graphics are so bad. Yeah. No, the special effects, but labyrinth, I Labyrinth's give credit good. to. Yeah. It holds up. Uh, what, you know, Princess it's a movie Bride. that's better as an adult than I, Oh, dude, don't even get me started with that. That's religion. Um, <laughs> but uh, you ever, you know, you want to talk about books? You've ever read that, Chris? You ever read Princess Bride? It's a little short. To read. It's not as good as the movie. Yeah. The movie. It's one oh, of the Jesus. rare instances oh, where boy. the movie is okay, better. So I was, it was good having you guys on. I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> now that we uh, you. How could you not like that book? I didn't right. say I don't like the book. I like the book, but that movie brought the the elements of the book so far yeah. forward like it, it, it having it, it people like andre the giant in it just yep. make that movie perfect the casting was perfect the casting was absolutely perfect and um you, you got to remember too that the guy who wrote it who i can't think of at the top of my head goldsmith or something like that he um yeah he's william a, golding i think golding thank you he's a, he's a script writer so it's, as it wasn't a big shock that princess bride uh translated well to the screen all right guys so let's take another quick break when we get back from this break uh, i'm anxious to talk about these next two games because these are games that i'm hearing good things about that i haven't played yet and that's kingdom death monster and song of ice and fire we'll be right back Howdy friends, here on the third floor you'll find us playing Malifaux and other games on Mats by Mars. They are scratch-resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, and lighter than neoprene. These mats use a new material that almost eliminates any glare. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a design, then choose an overlay like the one for Marvel Crisis Protocol or Malifaux 3rd Edition strats and schemes. It's going to speed up your deployment and the placement of strategy and objective markers. Until the end of June 2020, you can use the new promo code THIRDFLOOR620 to get a 10% discount on your next order. In the notes, you can ask for the Third Floor Wars logo to be put on your mat for free. Again, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR620, that's T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R 620, to get a 10% discount. All the details are in the show notes. So this next game was a game that, boy, I can't tell you how many times I almost hit the button on the Kickstarter for because um, 
some of the most unique and gorgeous sculpts I've ever seen. And I give Kingdom Death uh, credit because they did a really good job of getting early prints of those sculpts into some really good painters' hands. And you saw what some of the best painters in the world were doing with these models, and it was good. So Kingdom Death Monster from King, uh, Kingdom Death. Um, Chris, I know this is kind of your baby a little bit, so talk to me and sell me on Kingdom Death. I say you want to spoil something a little bit there, Chris, you can. Well, I don't, I don't know how much I can spoil, but um, <laughs> I, I did have a conversation with Adam Poots today. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to see if we can, we, we can find some time for him to be on the show. I don't know if he can spoil things, and I don't know if I should really be saying that he's going to be on the show because we haven't set a date or anything. But I had a conversation oh, well, with him, uh, and you, he was a really trying. nice guy. Yeah, you talk to him, and you're trying to. That would be a, big, that would be a huge guest to get. So um, I got into Kingdom Death on the second Kickstarter. And all I had heard, this was back in the early days of me getting into Kickstarter. And Pete knows, like, once I found Kickstarter, I went like <laughs> hog wild and backed everything. Like, I was just going broke. And so I found this Kingdom Death Kickstarter. It was the second one. I had a buddy that told me, hey, you should check this game out. And then he sent me, I think, some links to playthroughs that Beasts of War did through the first couple lanterns, lantern years in that game. And I was like, yeah, this game's awesome. So... It is the brainchild of Adam Poots, and he put together basically this dark, very, very grim uh, underworld type of uh, type of a world, and it is about not only fighting monsters, which is great with the models and everything, but also building a settlement and developing a society. And so there's a lot of components to this that pull from miniatures games, co-op games, uh, obviously D&D. Like there's so many different elements that this game pulls together into one cohesive whole. And... I, I just love it. It's it's probably one of the most successful, if not the most successful Kickstarters for miniatures games that they've ever had. I think the first one made over two million dollars and the second one, I think, went over 12 or something like that. It was it was insane how well these did on Kickstarter. So I'd be curious, Chris, what makes you play again? So as much as everything you just talked about, what's the reason you go? Yeah, you know what? Let's play. What if you were to distill it down? What makes you pick up the game and want to play it again? It's the ultimate challenge. I have a buddy that he has played hundreds of hours of Kingdom Death, and he has never beaten it. Interesting. He has never he has never completed the final showdown. And so you're playing in these lantern year periods, and each lantern year you fight someone different. So it might just be a monster hunt, right, where you're fighting the screaming antelope. Or it might be a nemesis encounter where you have a kingsman that comes into your settlement and wants to behead, you know, uh, your four strongest people and you have to decide if you're going to sacrifice them or if you're going to fight back. And so every lantern year is different. So you don't get caught in a lot of monotony and it's very challenging. You're, you're not going to just roll through and roll over this game. It will require uh, a lot of foresight and planning and a cohesive group. You don't want to have somebody in your group that's going to like run off and hide in the tall grass when everyone <laughs> else is fighting. Um, I think Pete can speak to that a little bit. Eh, it, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and anytime there's a game where it's collaborative, 
I like to be that wild card. Sometimes I'm going to do something really good. And sometimes I'm like, I'm just going to go stand over here. It just depends on how I feel. So I'm interesting to play D&D with. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an interesting game. The, the best thing I like about it is the AI me- uh, mechanics. The fact that there's nobody really controlling what you're fighting against. It's generated by these cards and different mechanics built into the game. So, and that kind of keeps it fresh because when you play a video game and you're like, oh, this boss, he's going to do this attack then and then I do this, that can be boring. But the fact that the cards make it where the monster is going to react differently and then when you injure it, it's going to react differently. So it's it's kind of a cool mechanic. I do like that part of it. So I'd be curious, Pete, what is the reason why Kingdom you don't like Kingdom of, Kingdom Death as much as Chris does? Um, so let's get into what what... What, what's the turnoff? I hate some of those models. I think some of them are stupid. <laughs> um, I'm a big model guy, and some of them are amazing. I painted this. Uh, it's a fire knight. It's this guy that his head's literally on fire. It's I, a gold smoke knight. Don't let Pete mess you up, people that know Kingdom Death. Sorry. I, I've painted a lot of Kingdom Death models just because I commission and stuff, but uh, yeah, it's just that model was really cool. There's other models that, like the Butcher's pretty cool. Um, and there's a lot of cool models that antelope where that's like split open and it's like its mouth and you see the bones and stuff. That's all pretty cool. But then I'm just looking at some of these models, like I'm sitting here painting this monster's balls and there's a penis (laughs) over here and there's a vagina coming out of this monster's mouth. And I'm like, it's kind of unnecessary to me. It's over. It's just over the top. I will say this. You have to have the right group, right? And, that group, you can't just let them have free reign to go search the internet for images because you never know what they're going to find. And if they find the wet nurse, there are definitely people that will be turned off by all of those dicks and boobs all over a monster. I had to paint so, that and I'm like, this is not good. Yeah, there's. it's funny you say that because the range of, oh my gosh, that's a gorgeous model sculpt to, I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is this is this some 12 year old in his basement? The the notebook that he draws in, that he doesn't let mom find out. Um, Reminds me of that scene is super bad where he's like a little kid and he's drawing all these penises in yeah. his notebook and it actually <laughs> falls on the floor. Yeah. Open. Yeah. No, it's it, 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 some of those sculpts are a little much. So, so and I do want to say this for those people that are listening and ha- haven't been exposed to the game. Those sculpts that are like that are expansion models that someone would have to specifically bring in and they can change the campaign that you're running. So some of them will replace another model and some of them will take you down a completely different story. So the, the basic story is you're starting to fight. You find like a, a pile of lanterns that give you light. You decide to set up a settlement there. You can buy an expansion where you come to a pool and then it has elements in the game where basically like people get purified in the pool like baptism, but it creates like these different storms that come through the land and you're you're basically in a different type of world by adding the expansions. My point is don't be off put by those models that you find to be over the top right because you can choose to play the game without those models like pete pete is painting the core box and you're talking about the lion the antelope the butcher the gold smoke knight the phoenix like none of those yeah, those, are all those cool. elements that people would consider a little bit grotesque got it 
Got it. And so basically so. what you can do is you can judge people based off of which expansions <laughs> they, they buy. buy. Yeah. <laughs> which is what I do, obviously. So, some, <laughs> some of you put you on a government list and other ones don't. That's yeah. Right. Like, are you a pervert or not? Um, so, yeah. The, the But I think that that's important to know. And as this game is expanding, one of the things that's really exciting is it looks like he's going to be setting up, Adam Poots is going to be setting up a game. And th- this is nothing from him, just so that I, I don't misrepresent any thing this is purely what i'm perceiving is he's going to be setting it up to where the expansions will carry you into different parts of the world cool and so if you want to go into a forest that is like basically this haunted living forest that the trees have hands and can grab you you can go there or if you want to climb the inverted mountain and you know be haunted by witches you can go that direction so there's a lot of different horror elements that you can go to depending on what you like and they definitely hit it out of the park with a number of these models and you're totally right craig the the hands that they got these models into initially like i want to give a shout out to the guy that does i don't even know his name but the guy that does the painting at spiraling cadaver yeah if you find the spiraling cadaver website you will see models that are so beautifully painted with perfect object source lighting tool yep. and we're talking about those soft glows of different colors it's 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 unbelievable no. and so um definitely a game that is huge in scope you're you're going to definitely spend expect to spend a thousand dollars oh you wow. know in that game oh yeah um yeah the, the core box alone is like 400 bucks wow i don't think i knew that yeah, <laughs> which is why people jumped on the Kickstarter, right? Because you could do the Satan pledge, which cost six hundred and sixty six dollars. And <laughs> you could you could get basically everything that other people would have to spend thousands of dollars for. And so no it could become someone's only game. Like if they have the right group and the right personalities that like that world, they could become only Kingdom Death players. And so because they can't afford to eat. Yeah. Well, yeah, but (laughs) they they could get into only that. And so it is a spiral that you could step into that, you know, carries you into that world and that world alone. And for some people, that's going to be amazing, right? People that they're them and their spouse are both into that. They have a couple other friends and they want an insulated group. Kingdom death is perfect for those types of people. Um, So that that's my pitch on kingdom death. It, it does have this cool, like, survivor in this damned world effect. You know, it is, it is a really cool game for that. And like, like I said, the only thing I don't like about it is straight up just some of the overtop monsters that I see in it. But and, and this is coming from a guy who doesn't mind seeing the occasional boob on models. Like I used right. to have I used to have Slanesh models that had that kind of stuff all over the place. So some yeah, of them are, blazing. yeah, some are over the top. But I'm glad you said that, Chris, because there's some of those I definitely wouldn't pick up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, I, you're not I crude, warn right? people away from some of that. So, yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that. But, but that, yeah, I gotta say that price is also a blocker though. I didn't realize, I don't know why Let's get this I, next I, Kickstarter. This next one's what we're talking about here. Ooh, boy. I don't know. Um, all right. So I want to talk about the next game, which is another game that I've heard again, people that I trust have told me is really, really good. Um, uh, Pete, talk to me about uh, Song of Ice and Fire. This game, if you if you like tabletop and if you like Game of Thrones, this this game's solid. Even if you don't like tabletop, this game is solid. It, it has a lot of cool things that you don't see in other tabletop games. 
And the one that I'm going to talk about that's probably the coolest feature of this game is the sideboard. So the sideboard has these different zones that you have people that are not on the battlefield and you're competing for these zones and they influence what happens in the game. So there's a movement zone, there's a tactics zone and an attack zone. And all this lets you do stuff in the game. And it, it represents, you know, those Cersei Lannister models and represents, you know, maybe Tyrion. Yeah, exactly. Who they're going to influence a battle, but it's not actually the sword and the shield that they're going to influence. So it's just a really cool mechanic. You start fighting over it. Uh, there's some cool card play mechanic where you have a hand kind of like similar to Malifaux where you can control what's happening in the game depending on what cards you have in hand. And those are the two things that I really like about the game. And it still gives you that fantasy element, which I'm a huge fan of. Game of Thrones has a great story. So you really get those moments where you're like, yeah, the Lannisters are going to, you know, give it to the Starks. We're going to, you know, push Bran out the window, all that fun stuff. Here comes the Boltons. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it's just it's a really fun game. It plays really well, too. Uh, the movement's big in it. Uh, so if you like movement games where you got to hit those flank charges, this is the kind of game that you're looking for. And they're improving it all the time. So it's it's definitely a game that's building. Chris, do you play? Yeah, I do. Uh, Craig, are you have you read the books or do you watch the, the TV show? Uh, both. OK, so the thing about Song of Ice and Fire that was incredible is there hasn't been an intellectual property based game that I have seen so well capt- capture its intellectual property in the mechanics of the game. Interesting. So I love the fact, just like you can see uh, people like Rob Stark in the, in the story that he never loses a battle, right? But in the end, it doesn't work out. Right. You can have that type of a game play out right in front of you with these models by using that tactics board and by playing for certain scenarios. And he could be mopping the floor with you and you could you could be winning. And right. that's how it's going to play out. You, when you play the Boltons or you play Walter Frey, like they are absolutely the type of models that will like fuck you behind the scenes like they're they're it's an incredible game as far as capturing capturing the intellectual property of that world yeah so i love how it captures that theme and concept and it feels like you're in that world as you're playing there are even models like walter frey and the boltons that are very much fuck you when you're not looking type models and I I just think that it does a great job of capturing that that element and that theme and concept of that of that world. So if you if you like that Song of Ice and Fire story, if you like the books, you like the movie, you should absolutely play this game. And you should play it with the models that you are most attracted to as far as house in that world. You will have a great time doing that. Yeah. Come on, did a really good job of having the models play the way that you want them to like Tyrion feels like the way Tyrion should play where he's manipulating the hand and literally has a negate spell like you would have in magic in his tactics deck where he can just be like, Nope, I'm going to cancel that. You can't do that order or whatever. And they even have the free folk. The free folk feel like they should where they're just overwhelming you and they don't count. They're insignificant. 
They don't count for the objective and they can come back. There's cards that let you get a whole unit of them back. So they're a horde army. It feels like the way it should. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so Pete, if, if, uh, if this game was going to stumble, um, or, or, uh, fall apart, or if there's a certain player out there that wouldn't like it, um, what do we need to watch out for? I mean, it, it takes a little bit of time to play, but I mean, I think that's the nature of the beast. There's, a, it's not a high model count, but I mean, you're looking at at least somewhere probably from maybe 40 to 80 models, depending on what you want to play. Yeah. And for some people, that's a turnoff. They don't they don't want to do that. But the good news is, come on, was smart enough to make it where you didn't have to assemble it. Yep. So that way you can just put it on the board and just play it. You don't have to assemble it. But if you're looking to paint your army to make it look cool, that's going to be a little bit of a chore. Unfortunately, my first faction was the Free Folk, yeah. and that took me a while to paint, and then <laughs> I ended up just selling them anyways. So, Oh, no. Yeah. He so, made do, money. Don't worry about him. Do you uh, – do you, I wasn't worried about him. Um, do, you, uh, do you still play, Pete, or you just, that's just an army you dropped and you're, you're playing other stuff now? I just, I just dropped them because they weren't that good and – the things you wanted them to do, they didn't quite do. And they were unreliable because they're the free folk. Uh, so I ended up going to the Baratheons and I also have a little bit of Lannisters and some of the, uh, I have some Bolton stuff too. So I, I still play, but I'm kind of more in the Baratheon camp right now, just cause I love all the armored dudes that they came out with. Yeah. That's cool. Chris, if, um, if this game was going to end up uh, losing you, what would have to happen or what would get too much? I, I don't really anticipate that happening with this. I think that, because of the intellectual property they're using, it's self-contained enough to where they won't go crazy. Like, like they're not going to be able to invent new characters that do crazy and wild things because George R. R. Martin has already straightened all that out. He's, he's already given you the characters you're working with. And so anything that they release, people are going to be excited for. Um, I think that the biggest drawback is expense. And yeah. the size of it, the, the time it takes to play. Uh, but if you want an epic type of game, it's a perfect one. And especially if you're already into that, that story and that intellectual property, uh, it, it's going to be a really, really nice fit for you. It's, it feels like Game of Thrones. And now that the show's over and another book isn't going to be released until, you know, Never. Who knows? Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It might be the only outlet you have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, but it's all, and, and I think that this is important for people to know, it's all of the Song of Ice and Fire stuff. So you're not going to be able to go back and play as Robert, Robert. Conquering the Seven Kingdoms or, uh, you know, any of those older you know, the mad King or any of that, you're not right. going to be able to play as any of them, but all of the characters that are current and living in the song of ice and fire world, those are the ones you're able to play. You're able to play as brand being carried by Hodor. You're able to play as Joffrey, uh, Brienne, Brienne of Tarth, whoever you want. Um, that's in cool. that current world. And there, it looks like they're going to release the full set. So, um, you're going to be, they're releasing, I think all of the stuff for Daenerys, so her Dothraki riders and her Unsullied and all of that. Boy, Unsullied or Dothraki could pull me in, man. Those I bet those are going to be some kick-ass models. The models, the models look cool. They already have the starters and stuff out for them. So. Yeah, the Khal Drago is amazing. Yep. Dragons are not yet. They're not 
they're not out yet. That's what I'm saying. But they're coming. But they are making them. Yes. Nice. Very, very nice. So, guys, we're going to take another break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, the big of the big games. We're going to talk about Warhammer 40K from Games Workshop. We'll be right back. My name is Jacob Suderman, and my dad is a patron of the Third Floor Wars. I like the Third Floor Wars because the deep dives tell me a lot about a master, and when I get my second master, I'm going to use the deep dives to tell which one I want. Hey, you should be a patron too. Recently, we broke 100 patrons. I want to thank our most recent patrons, Marcus Moore, Dronex, Joshua Story, Peter Pot, Sergei Chapovalov, Superhottie69, Adam Talbot, and Richie Richmitten. Thank you. So there's really, you know, two games, both games, workshop games that um, we hear the most when we talk about how did you get into the hobby? And it's going to be games, workshops, Warhammer 40K, or it's going to be fantasy, or it's going to be both Uh, for both uh, for me, at least uh, it was 40K and Pete, I think it was for you too, right? Yeah, it was both. Yeah. Um, I think uh, listeners to the show have heard me say bad things about this game before. Um, I used to be um, the jilted lover of Games Workshop. Uh, we had a very bad breakup, a bad, bad breakup. Um, I don't hate uh, them like I used to. In fact, I appreciate a lot of what Games Workshop has done in the last really three or four years. Uh, but it's not enough to bring me back. Um, so I'm actually going to start this segment talking about what's the good in Warhammer 40K. Um, and I think it's pretty simple. Um, and, uh, it comes down to one. I think that they have probably one of the most developed game only lores that's out there. So it's not based on an IP. This is an IP that is strictly created from a game. And that world is amazing. I'm a huge fan of the black library. And I think, uh, games workshop really nailed it, nailed it by getting a lot of independent writers to come in, expand that universe, blow it up and, uh, really create something that was, very derivative at first, but ended up becoming kind of its own thing, its own genre in its own way. Uh, two, um, this is hard for me to explain. I love the models, even though I don't care for the aesthetic. Um, it's not the aesthetic that I care that I like, but I've always appreciated the models. I've always appreciated the innovation um, that they have in the models. Um, and if there's only one thing that I miss from 40 K, it is the epic nature of the battles. There is something that I really do miss about putting 60 models on the one side of the table, 50 models on the other side of the table and rolling dice for four hours and just having an epic battle. So Pete, how about you? What, what is, you don't play 40 K anymore. So what do you miss or what do you think is good about the game? I think that, I miss more of the memories that <laughs> I had with it because yeah. there are a lot of great people that I met in that game and they used to have a great tournament system set up. Uh, I loved Ard Boys when it came out. I love the GT systems that they used to have where, you know, Games Workshop supported it and there was a lot of big crowds with it and it was pretty impressive. And the lore, like you said, is great. I love the lore, especially when it comes to the emperor and how they have to sacrifice psychers to him every day just to keep him alive in his chair. And he has all these sons, these primarchs that represent each chapter. And each of those chapters has this unique feel to it. And I love the tanks and I love the monsters, the tyranids and the orcs. And yep. it, it's just it was so great when you first played it. 
and the models were always there. The models are always decent. And it's just one of those things where as you kind of get into it, if I was still, if I still had a lot of close friends that played it and I was a casual player and I didn't mind some of the glaring problems with the game, I would maybe (laughs) still play it. But there are a lot of issues with it and I don't have friends that play it because I don't know, maybe that's a young man's game now. Maybe you got to be younger to appreciate 40K because I know no, I think are... you have to be an old man to appreciate it. <laughs> like well, a yeah. re- really yeah. old set in your ways, man. Maybe these days. All Pete does is he just convinces his friends to like buy into 40K now, and then never ends up playing himself. Defend, and then they have to sell their models. this a little bit? Can I defend this? So they came out with the new system, the new edition for 40K. And I was, I was kind of, I was on the fence because some of the new models were really cool. And I was hearing all these rumors about it was better. You know, baby, I changed. I, you know, I'm not going to do that again type yeah. thing. <laughs> and then Don't. we played it and it was a lot of the same. And unfortunately, I roped Chris into spending some money. And <laughs> I found a really good deal on this whole army of space wolves that were painted by Blue Table. Wow. And so I, I got them all for like, 500 bucks or something like that like and and we're talking a complete army like everything i needed to play um and so i bought it and then i got another good deal and i bought some more stuff in the end i sold it all and i got a good enough deal to where i made money on it so that was that was good but i had to i had to find the right buyer because it was it was it took a little while to sell it it wasn't something that like i had to wait for the new codex to come out or all this stuff so chris i'm a space wolves guy let me ask you the games that you played chris so the games of actually playing it what were your thoughts i thought there was a lot of shit i had to look up yep and i thought that was lame (laughs) um and i didn't like that all the models basically looked the same I did like the the ethos of the of the space wolves. Like I would still say that I'm like if I were to pick somebody that I align with in that, I, I would be a space wolves guy still. But I just yeah, I didn't really get into the game and uh you know Pete didn't really decide to stick with it so it's not like I really had a lot of friends that were into it and so yeah, I just kinda went by the wayside and I sold my stuff. What what keeps you from playing, Pete? Uh, it's just the, it's really a pay to play thing where I like to be a competitive player. I was competitive with Guild Ball. I did really well in Guild Ball. Uh, I've already been to my first Malifaux tournament, and I plan on going to many more Malifaux tournaments just because I like how competitive it is. And the problem with 40k is a lot of times you can't be competitive with that unless you play the hotness. And right, the the problem with that is Games Workshop does their balancing and they do it a lot of times and I don't know how true it is, but a lot of times as a player, it feels like they pump something that new is up. So you want to play that because it's good. Then they nerf the crap out of it and then something else gets pushed up and then you have to buy that if you want to be a competitive player. So I only did that a handful of times before I was just kind of done with it. And I'm just like, I'm not going to these tournaments anymore. I'm not going to keep paying, you know, a thousand bucks to get into this new army. It's just, I want to be in a competitive game where what I have is going to work and I can win with it. Even if it's not the most powerful thing, I can still be the better player and win with it. 
Yeah. Uh, what keeps me from playing is the rules, plain and simple. Um, you know, and when you're doing it, though, Craig, like you, you were like me, where I'm sure this was your first tabletop game. Yeah. And when you have the books and you have to pay for the new books and you have to, well, let me look that up. And I think it's on this page and you have yep. to flip to that page. And you're spending about 30 minutes looking up one rule interaction. And when you're doing it, that's just the norm. But now it's kind of like that's why are you wasting? I can play almost half a game during that time exactly exactly no and it's um we could do a whole episode on uh you know the difference we talked about a little bit on your show the difference between what i consider antiquated and modern rule sets and uh, i don't care what you say warhammer is antiquated um it's an antiquated system and i really hope at some point that games workshop has the balls to to start all over again uh, keep the lore, keep the world, and and, and put out a, a modern rule system. Yeah, and, and I think if you look at Underworlds, right? I mean, they started getting some things right with that, and that's why that was, I played that for a bit. That was a cool game. I just wasn't a fan of the card mechanics that were with that game and how you had to have certain things to make your deck more powerful if yep. you want to be competitive with that. But it, I think it was a lot better than the 40K and Fantasy, Age of Sigmar system we're stuck with now. Yep. Yep. No, I hear you. So guys, let's take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to come back to uh, my love. Um, So we're not going to really talk a whole lot about what I love about Malifaux, but I'm really anxious to hear what Pete and Chris like, because Chris and Pete are relatively new to the game. um, And it's how we ended up meeting was through the game. So when we get back, we're going to hear about the good, bad, and the ugly of Malifaux. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So here on the third floor, we, we we try to cover a lot of games, but we also make no uh, presumption that we're uh, primarily a Malifaux-focused um, podcast. Um, and it's because, quite frankly, it's Ray and I's favorite game. Um, and uh, anybody who's listened to more than three episodes has heard me go on and on about why I think uh, Weird is doing it better than anybody else right now. But uh, part of the reason that Pete uh, and Chris and I ended up uh, connecting was because they have, are relatively new to Malifaux. Um, and uh, so I want to start with you, Pete, um, as somebody who, like me, um, you know, played a lot of games, has, has a breadth of, of experience with games. What, what drew you into Malifaux and what's keeping you in Malifaux? First thing that probably really got me was just the, the flavor and the fun I had with it, just because... You, you play a lot of these crews, and and I'm glad I came in during 3E because from what I hear about 2E, the more I listen to it, the more it feels a lot like some of the other games where it had this power creep kind of building up to it. So I like this reset that they've kind of done with the keyword and the different factions and how you can play a crew and stay mostly in keyword, and you still really get the feel of that crew and the flavor, but it still can compete, especially when it comes to the different scheme pools and strats because it's challenging, but 
I've been able to slowly kind of work my way through the strats and schemes where it's definitely an interesting challenge because you can't just like I've been playing a lot of levy and levy's really good. Yeah. But but I can't just lean on him because there's so many there are counters to him, especially things that ignore demise triggers. And I also can't bring him into every scheme and strat because there's some ones that he's just not going to do as well. So it's it's a good challenge because it forces you to I really feel like it forces you to flex your your mind muscles a little bit more. And it it flexes your creativity with the way you play the game. And I haven't had really that kind of itch scratch since I played Guild Ball competitively. Yep. And since it's hard to get a tournament in with Guild Ball right now and Malifaux, especially up in your area, we we hang out with a lot of Raleigh guys. And I've met a lot of Raleigh guys through Guild Ball, especially Lon, uh, Steve Knott's a real big big friend that we have up there in Raleigh. And, and it's just, it's a great gaming environment. And when I found out there was a ton of North Carolina Raleigh folks that play it, it just made sense to us. And, and we have a lot of Georgia friends that play it. Uh, this the Southeast is a great place to game. You just have to kind of find that common game. And Malifaux really has scratched a lot of those itches. Yeah. Malifaux is big here in the Southeast and we've got uh, several mini, uh, mini metas and strong metas, especially if you could start going up to the DC area as well. And if you include that in the group, how about you, Chris, you've had a little bit of a love hate coming out of the gate with Malifaux. So let's talk about the love first. Yeah. I, well, I've had Malifaux models for a long time. I, I have Malif- Malifaux models before I moved to South Carolina, before I met Pete, I just never really played it. I had had like an intro game and that was it. And I was never able to get Pete to play it because he didn't like the idea of flipping cards. It was in the book of grudges. Yeah. So, so he, <laughs> he decided that he was going to be prejudiced against cards. And then we had a new buddy that moved into the area, Scott, that was really into Malifaux. And I didn't push it hard because I, I just didn't really know the game. So it's not like I could sit there and be like, no, I'm going to teach you this and give it a chance and all that. But Scott knew it and he was able to, teach Pete and uh, then, and, and I, I did demos with Scott, you know, to kind of get my toes in the water and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great game. I mean, it's a, it's a modern, a modern rule set. It's a nice tight skirmish game, balanced, all of that good stuff. And um, I definitely had some frustrations early on because I, I, I tend to want to be a sledgehammer when I play and, you know, just brute force my way through. And I thought I'd be able to do that. And Pete intentionally gave me an experience that I didn't like because he's an asshole. And <laughs> and so I had to go and readjust. But I took your advice and yep. I listened to the Dreamer episode that you did with uh, Matt Peterson and great stuff, by the way. Um, I, I look forward to listening to more episodes like that of, you know, the specific uh, the specific uh, crews and, and, you know, the different people that you can play. But, uh, yeah, so I, I went out and I, I found a guy on Facebook that I guess he's up in, in Michigan trying to build his meta. So if anyone is listening in Michigan right now, like there, there, there are people up there looking to, looking to find games. Um, and he had a cool set because he had every, like, I know the dreamer models, there's, they're different depending on which edition you get, but he had all the ones basically that I want. So he had the translucent young dreamer that's holding the hand of the monster. 
And I think that's the coolest model of that. And then the Lord Chompy bits, that's the newest one that has, you know, his deluxe edition. So I was like, all right, well, you know, this is, this is going to work. And he gave me a good deal. And so I was like, all right, we're, we're going to do that. And I'm waiting for Scott to get me some stitched together models. And yeah, I've got to, I've got to go give Pete a bad experience. So when I was on, uh, uh, their podcast. Um, uh, Chris was in the midst of, of being frustrated and you were playing the VIX, I think mm-hmm. at the time you're a little bit frustrated because you wanted the VIX to be a, and they weren't really a, there were more B. Um, and, um, so, uh, I put on, uh, put on my Dr. Craig glasses and, uh, gave him a diagnosis and decided the dreamer was the crew that he wanted. Uh, so I'm very anxious, uh, Chris, we're going to have to revisit to find out whether, uh, I was uh, completely wrong and you ended up hating uh, the nightmare crew or whether I was right that this was going to be the, the crew that would finally get you uh, neck deep into Malifaux. Um, so I'll start off guys real quick with what I think are some of the drawbacks of Malifaux or some of the concerns of Malifaux. Um, you tipped off a little bit of a Pete, which is um, it's a little hard uh, to keep a game like this balanced. Um, it's a game that's very intricate um, and it's a game with a lot of models. It happened to them in second edition. I think they've put some good levies uh, to keep the water back with the keyword system. I think that will help um, allow them to keep the game balanced. Um, I will also say that uh, Unbalanced in Malifaux is a lot different than Unbalanced in Warhammer. Um, Unbalanced in Warhammer is unplayable. Um, Unbalanced in Malifaux is, um, you know, it would be nice if these things weren't as distant from each other. But you could take the weakest Malifaux crew out there, and there's always the weakest. You could take the strongest Malifaux crew out there, and there's always the strongest. And you have the best, best, better player playing the weakest uh, crew, and they're going to win the game, um, which is part of what I love about Malifaux itself. Um, my other concerns about it is, um, and I don't know how to solve this piece, but uh, it's frustrating to love a game to really do believe that it is the best game out there and it's not played as much as it should be. Um, so my, my, I do get concerned about um, it being a sustainable game. I hope it grows. I hope it continues to grow. I hope we never see uh, the game go away. Um, but it's a, it, they are not Games Workshop. Um, they can't weather every storm. Um, and stuff like this pandemic that we're going through right now, the way it impacts companies, sometimes your mid-sized and smaller gaming companies don't come out of something like this. Um, and I'm not saying weird won't, but I'm just saying that it's, it, they, um, it's just not as big a game. Um, so they can't make as many mistakes as Warhammer and Games Workshop has made over the last 30 years. Pete, what are your concerns about Malifaux? So before I forget about it, one of the things that I, I know Chris will appreciate with Malifaux is the keyword system, I think, was a great change. Yeah. Because now people like Chris and just look at a keyword and say, OK, what does this keyword do? OK, it does this. Whereas War Machine is one that Chris just says, there's so many models, you don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So that was one thing that they got right. But one thing that I've experienced that with the competitive scene that I'm, it's kind of more just annoyance than anything else is I really like the idea of having a death clock or having some kind of clock to keep your, keep the pressure on. Yep. Be- because that was the thing that with Guild Ball, you had this clock and you had it with War Machine too. And if you knew what your stuff did and you could move through the turn and there was a penalty at the end for them not using their time well, 
that's something that I think should be addressed because I know that when I played in my first tournament, I was on the other side of this where I felt like I was taking too much time because I'm still reading my cards, figuring out how that's going to interact with the scheme. Yep. So I know for some of the better players, like you guys have that guild player that was on talking about Lucius. Uh, I didn't play him, but I played one of his friends and I just know that they're like, man, this guy's taking his sweet ass time. And I, and it's not intentional, but there should, I think how awful that would be if they lost to a new guy just because I lucked out somehow, which probably won't happen often in Malifaux, but maybe there's something where I'm kind of good, but maybe not quite, but I'm slow playing it. And they lose because there wasn't enough time in the round and they had to drop cards and that was it. And you get some of those instances when you don't keep people accountable for their time. And I've played in tournaments where people do that intentionally. Yeah, I have never seen that intentional in Malifaux, and I hope I never do, to be quite frank with you. But um, and this is kind of what you're talking about, but not exactly the, the, the time it takes to play a game. I think is starting for me to become a little bit of a problem. Um, uh, I want to play all five turns and that means that it's going to take two and a half, three hours between setup, list building, deployment and everything. And, but I don't know how to fix that because I'd be, I would lose so much if, if corners were cut here and corners were cut there and I don't want it to be Marvel crisis protocol. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I've already got Marvel Crisis Protocol. I want Malifaux to be Malifaux, um, but I, I do get concerned about the length, the, the length of play. Um, Chris, any other- what? What if they did it? What if they did it like with God Tier, where like there's that elastic band and like, yeah, if you, as long as you're playing, like you have a chance to win. But once you don't have a chance to win anymore, then it's just done. I, I think that's very interesting. Uh, variable turn lengths, as long as that the variable turn, uh, not turn lengths, the var- variable number of turns. I like that as a mechanic, as long as it's not a gotcha mechanic, right? So um, it, it has to be. It has to be able to be mitigated by either player and um, not be a oh holy shit the game's over. How'd that happen? Um, which I don't get the impression that God tier is. I think uh, from what I'm hearing, God tier does a good job of, uh, of, of having variable uh, game lengths without it being a surprise. Is that accurate, Chris? Yeah. The, like, the, well, you know how much each round is worth. And if you get to a round and you're like, well, I only need two more, two more points and this round is worth two, you know that you can win it and your opponent knows that you can win it in that moment. Yep. So it would be a situation where you'd have to to, you know, just kind of off the top of my head, armchair quarterback, this thing like you would have to say, okay, here's the schemes. You can get this many points from these schemes if you get to this two or this three, however many you need to meet the win condition in that turn. And so then your opponent would have to say, I need to be able to keep them from getting you know, from scoring two you, points. You here. just described Malifaux, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's something else you can do too, is when you are looking at your system, I think Malifaux runs into the problem where there's a lot of out of activation triggers and movement. Yeah. And when you are activating one model, but you're moving three or four models or dropping three or four scheme markers, that takes up time. And if you as a company and a design team want to, shorten the time that's the first place you can start cutting it i agree limiting and maybe it's a core rule or maybe it's just a rule per faction but 
a core, a core rulebook rule that just says, you know, you can't move more than one model out of activation or you make it where all the triggers make it where it's like, oh, up to one model or up to two models. Because yep. there's some of those triggers where you can move your whole crew. Yeah. yeah. No, like, I agree. Like, like that's, that, that, moving stuff all over the place. Yeah, and that could drastically slow things down. Pete is super attracted to Ma Tucket right now. Well, she, she's, <laughs> we she's my are. black joker, and she's a pretty-looking lady. <laughs> Sexy. <laughs> well, guys, I, I got to tell you, I mean, this this is not the shortest podcast that we've done. Um, but hey, wait, we I, need, I need your two cents on something real quick while we're on this. Oh, like good on this Lord, okay. <laughs> okay. So there is one thing that I, I don't understand about Malifaux that like you can explain for me and it kind of is bugging me, but it's not like a deal breaker. So some of the models that I had before I had other mo- never born models. And so this dreamer edition is nice, but one of the ones that I had was Lilith, but like now Lilith isn't a model that you can play. So I've never really encountered, uh, miniatures games where there's models that are you know banned models or anything what's go- what's going on with that why would they why would they do that why wouldn't they just rework her um so I, the answer is i don't know um but here here's kind of the prevailing theory and i think it's a pretty strong one so what i'm about to say did not come out of weird's mouth nobody's told me at weird that this is what it was but it's dead man's hand and dead man dead man dead man's hand gives them a mechanism that you're awful see often seeing collectible card games which is the ability to rotate. Um, so um, what by having that exist, by the possibility of saying that in Gaining Ground Season 2, that the following keywords are going to go to Dead Man's Hand and the, these keywords are going to come out of Dead Man's Hand, it gives them a way to still have all of the models that they have. I mean, there's so many masters out there. There's so many keywords and every, all these keywords have so many models that by having a dead man's hand rotation, you can limit what needs to stay balanced from a design standpoint without burning people's models and saying Lilith is never going to come back. So what I anticipate is going to happen, Chris is I don't know in a year two years, whatever, what we're going to see happen is a rotation for dead man's hand. We're going to see uh, uh, a master maybe out of every keyword that goes into dead man's hand that currently is, is not there. And then Lilith comes back um, and she becomes a mainstream never born. And for the casual player, none of that's impacting anything. If you're a casual player, then dead man's hand means nothing because you can play dead man's hand, you know, anytime that you want, but from a competitive standpoint, it gives them, it gives them a lever to pull. Does that make sense? And I was going to say, because I'm listening to a lot of the fluff going through the broadside breach or breach, breach side, breach side broadcast. broadcast. And they, I just got to the episode where Ramos is kind of going into it with Hoffman and they're kind of doing this robot battle. And, you know, Hoffman's brother is twisted and like this mechanical spider now. And my our buddy Russ actually just bought, you know, Ramos's crew box and he has some of those models. And I'm like, man, that would be really cool to see Ramos on the table just doing that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and you will. Um, and, and Ramos is good. Um, and you know, it, it's it, from a fluff perspective, you know, you can have him fight Hoffman. Um, yeah. and it's got a whole new feel to it. Um, but um, I don't know if that answered your question, Chris, because the the, the 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 answer is I don't know, but I think that that's what's happening. Okay, so I won't like burn that model, but um, <laughs> but I still found that I can't even find her card in the app. So is there a way that I can set the app to where I can yeah, find her card? Because I mean, de- locally, I'd still like to play her. 
Yeah, I, you can turn it on. Um, so I'll show you in the app how to do that. Um, it'll take me an hour to teach you anything relative to technology, but I'll do it anyway because I love you. <laughs> I do suck at technology. <laughs> I'm a non-tech right. Asian. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be one. Um, so, guys, uh, boy, we covered a lot of games here um, in uh, in the time that we were on. And what I'm hoping is for those of you listening that this kind of gave you some insights on games that you're familiar with. Maybe it turned you on to a game that you'd never thought about before. Um, and maybe you disagree with some of the things that we said. Don't So don't be afraid to uh, hit up the Facebook page or uh, the comments um, on any of our posts about this episode and let us know. More importantly, though... Open up your podcatcher right now. Go over and search for Rage Quit Wire and subscribe. Uh, you won't be disappointed. These guys are putting out good stuff. Um, other than your podcast, Pete, uh, anything that you want to plug? Yeah, we're starting to do, we're going to, really the podcast has been something we've been doing for a while, but we also have a YouTube channel that we're starting to add more content to. I've done a lot of painting, streaming. Uh, as soon as, even, even with this quarantine, uh, my son and I, as soon as I paint this God tier box up, we're going to do a walkthrough of the God tier box of my son. And Chris and I have done video content before, but we've upped our equipment a little bit. And uh, the new house I just bought got a lot of space to do tabletop kind of recording and stuff. So we're going to be putting out a lot more video content, which uh, you just search Rage Quit Wire on YouTube and it'll pop pretty much right up. Yeah, you'll be able to see our ugly faces. Yeah. Or at least the table and maybe our hands will be hand modeled. Well, fine. Our ugly, fat <laughs> sausage fingers. Whatever. Yeah, we'll we'll link to your channel in the uh, show notes. How about you, Chris? Anything you want to plug? Nope. We, we, we've we been happy being on, and thanks for having us. And uh, we definitely are loving gaming, and we look forward to having more more of these interactions. And yeah, despite, despite what people want, Rage Quit Wire is not going anywhere. Some people hate us, and that's okay. <laughs> oh, if you hate us, please leave nasty comments. <laughs> like, I will read them like bedtime stories. <laughs> Chris does love I used to, so, that on Discord for Guild Ball, there used to be this channel called The Wank Dungeon, and that's where they talk all their, you know, tactical, mathematical equations on how they're going to win the game and stuff. And a lot of really good players were on it. And when we came out, they flamed us so hard. <laughs> and I would send Chris screenshots of it, and he loved it. He oh, it's so it. funny. <laughs> like, like, it's almost like these people thought that I would care. And I do not. That's right. <laughs> and I do not. That's funny. All right, guys. Um, I look forward to having you on again. Um, I also look forward to uh, losing to both of you at Malifaux, especially when that Dreamer crew gets ready. I'll do my best. All right. <laughs> For those of you listening, I appreciate you sticking around. Take care. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. 
Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. The old oh. bugbear. Yep. All right. So this is this is running much longer than normal, but it's good. Um, yeah. But I think we can be probably pretty tight on these next two, just because we don't have to explain any of them to the yeah. uh, audience. Um, and uh, the good on one will be real short, and the <laughs> the bad on the other one will be short. So, <laughs> okay. I'm I'm gonna let you guys take the lead on this uh, 40k stuff, and I'll, I'm just gonna more well. I can share a story about Pete getting me to buy a bunch of models that we I never used <laughs> because he's a dick. Um, but <laughs> other than that, I'll let you guys kind of take the lead on the 40k okay. stuff, just because it's not my. Tell you what, guys, the three of us have a pretty good groove. Well, you know, you know we, we've been broadcasting to dozens of listeners for two years now. <laughs> yeah, but but I guess what I'm saying is that when you get a third voice in there, sometimes things oh, yeah. don't work, and I'm 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 happy with how the three of us work together. I like it. Well, I mean, we and it's just Chris and I. Like, I'll have to send you our first episode. Sometimes it's it's not good. But, <laughs> We we kind of learned when to kind of shut up and stop talking over each yeah. other. Yeah, well, but uh, we did hit a nice groove by our third episode because that's the "We Hate Farmers" episode, yeah, where I like bitched about the farmers being broken <laughs> in Gilball, and by, by that one, then we had like we had found a, found a brand, right? That's like funny. that was the first epic rant that I went on, and that one like I, that will always be a top episode for us, even if we're still working out kinks. Besides our season four spoiler episode, we got Hunter's season four stuff, and we released it before anybody else did. Which we got like something crazy, like a thousand down, like downloads. Right Thirteen hundred. Don't sell nice. a choice. But that farmer's episode until that point was like our most downloaded episode, just because how funny it was. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so like you, you need to listen to this. These fucking wackos. <laughs> yeah. Put us on the map. Oh, that's yep. funny. All right. Now I got Craig's little break music in my head. <laughs> 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 Howdy, friends. <laughs> Craig here. We should, we should have talked about I, how, been, how Pete got fired from from Privateer Press. I, and that's I was gonna, if, like you, if he asked me if I was going to go back, I was going to be like, nope. <laughs> they fired nope. me. You got fired? I they, was a press ganger and I got fired. press ganger program. So uh, they, they cut it and they didn't, they didn't do anything. And they're just like, nope, oh, sorry. And it's like, okay, have fun running your game tournaments by so yourself. So it wasn't like you worked for the company, but I was going to say it's, for the it's, the TGI, it's the TGI Fridays of uh, tabletop games. 
<laughs> You're cool. You cruel. You, you felt like an uh, abused, uh, an abused significant other that got dumped. Wasn't that? Hey. Wasn't that all? That was all happening in the wake of the, everything. The the people that tried to uh, sue uh, Wizard Watchy. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, now. that's exactly why. Judges. They did it. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Hey, both of you have played God Tier because I haven't played it yet. Yes, I have actually uh, played it now. Yeah, Chris knows well, I know enough. enough to where I could talk okay, about good. it. Good. Yeah. All right. It was good. Did Chris come back? Right. I've been on here. Yeah, you you dropped for a little bit. But the good news is you're okay. just like just like with um, Zencasters recording locally. So <coughs> this is the worst part of Craig's show. This is where I hit my thirty second forward. <laughs> Damn ads. <laughs> whatever, what, whatever you should you you should be listening and getting the promo codes and then I do. Be able so to buy stuff. when I do like Matt, like eventually I'll do an order probably for Matt and something, and I'll probably use Craig's code. But I'd I'm appreciate not. it if you did. Yep. But no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of the same ads. So. I get it. <laughs> uh, but if you were a Patreon, you wouldn't have to listen to the fucking things. That's fair. <laughs> All right. I'll bring us back. So basically, we're talking to Pete about the good and then Chris about the ugly. Is that the plan? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Chris, I tell you what, Chris, on our last episode that we dropped, he was pretty excited about those uh, Dreamer models. Uh, did Uncle Craig treat you right? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, the, I, I went and picked some up, and I, I'm actually waiting to get some stitched together models. And so, we, yeah, we can talk. We can talk about all of that. We, we can give like an update across. The mechanics are cool, right? Yeah, like it, it's a, it's a neat it's a neat <coughs> team. And so, I still have to unveil all. Yeah, of that. Yeah, it's different. It's different. Uh oh! I promised him I wouldn't listen to your Dreamer episode until after oh, dude, play. Dreamers, Dreamers, the most fun you're going to have losing. <laughs> you're going to be like, oh god, your crew, that that crew is so cool, and it just killed me. But God, it's so cool. All right, I'll bring us back. <laughs>